This podcast is presented to you by Passion Church and their campus in Montgomery, Alabama. For more information, visit www.mypassion.church. Steve Vickers, my wife Denise, and I founded, planted uh, the original Passion Church in our home uh, in 1980 with a little handful of people, uh, about five or six or ten adults, and uh, uh, now we have campuses in different places with people worshiping the Lord right now where you and I are here. Uh, and. Uh, we have been involved in works around the world, so not me, us, we. And it's been uh, our privilege to serve now uh, the pastors and the different campuses and helping them. We uh, were in our uh, South Haven, Mississippi campus last week, and uh, we ministered there, had a wonderful service with uh, uh, the uh, Passion Church there. Did a leadership uh, meeting afterwards, had a great time with them. We were up with uh, Pastors Bruce and Sandy Whitehill before that and had a great time with them uh, up in Alexander City, Passion Church there. Uh, so uh, it's, um, it's a wonderful privilege to be a part of what God is doing in the earth today and we play a small part, but nevertheless, it's a part and we're grateful for it. So grateful for Pastor Norris and Cindy and their leadership. Amen. Amen. Uh, And their leadership of the the campus here, our Montgomery campus. And I tell you, I don't know how you feel. You you may have different feelings about where you are and what's going on right now. But I want to tell you, I know this. And I was thinking about it this morning. I, I spoke to Walt. Preston, my dear friend who labored with me for so many years here at the campus here in Montgomery, uh, and I was thinking, I told him that on the way to the service this morning, uh, coming to AUM, I thought, I just had a knowing in my heart, a sense of, this is right. You know, you know when you kind of, you, 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 you get somewhere, and you're either with somebody or you're uh, whatever it may be. You know, you have a sense where something's not right, you know? You ever had that? And you know, when you violate that, you usually find out you were right. Something was wrong. You know what I mean? Uh, And uh, of course, there's other times when I don't listen to Denise, but that's another story. (laughs) We won't talk about that, all right? She's home. She was recovering from some things, and uh, but uh, she'll be here later at another time. But uh, anyway, uh, when there's times though when you're with someone, you're in a certain place, and it just seems right, just seems right, and that's a good feeling. You know, you can kind of let your guards down and. You can think, okay, everything's going to be all right. I feel safe. I feel right, secure about it. And listen to me, Passion Church. When I was coming here this morning and I thought about where you are and, you know, 
you, the building was, we sold the building, and now you're in a temporary place. You're in a tent, if you will. And yet, I felt right about it. To look back and think, oh, maybe we should go back to that building, I thought, boy, that would be so wrong. Because that chapter, God wanted to close it. And the f- being in a temporary location, a tent, if you will, is always, a, God always has a purpose in it. Temporary things create some permanent purposes in our lives. And we either kick against the pricks, we resent it, and we complain, and we waste the opportunity, or we seize it and allow God to do what he wants to do. Now let me tell you what God always wants to do when it's temporary. When you're in a tent, you know, when God uh, instructed them to build the tent in the wilderness, you remember the children of Israel had left Egypt slavery, bondage, and were on their way to the promised land, but they were in the wilderness in between. You're in between right now. In between. God's blessing was there. God's presence was there. The goodness of God was there. You see? But God had a purpose. And here's when God instructed them to build the the tent. They made the inside really pretty, but the outside was ugly. It was ugly. You know, I'm sure that some of the ladies got up in the morning and that it was time to go to church, and she'd look at her husband and say, why am I getting dressed up? Look how ugly the church is. It's got badger skins all over it. It doesn't look pretty. But God was showing something. God was saying, see, it was a temporary place. God was saying, I don't want you focused on the, what you see in the natural. Don't focus on a thing, focus on me. And listen, when God's got you in a temporary place, it's always so he can do a permanent work in you. And it's in those temporary transitional times that suddenly God does things inside us that we feed off of the rest of our life. Listen, in some of the worst times, God's done some of the best things inside me, not around for me. While I was unhappy where I was, I was experiencing something inside me that God was doing. Listen, and I want to I share with you this morning exactly what I believe God wants to do in us in this time. In Passion Church, Montgomery. So I want you to listen. So to start off, I'd like to kind of, best I can, paint a picture for you. And if you just... Allow yourself, trust me enough to step into the picture with me and let's take a little journey. The temperature is nice and actually gotten a little chilly outside and when you look out the window, the foliage is like a, just a beautiful array of golds and oranges and yellow and so pretty. And out there I can see some of my grandsons 
playing catch with the football. They're passing it back and forth. I hear the sound of Stacy and Misty, our two oldest daughters, in the kitchen, fumbling around with dishes and pans and getting some things ready. And I watch as Denise is putting the final touches on the table in the tablecloth and all of the uh, uh, tables set up in the dining room. Little Denise is sitting talking to little Misty and, and Sterling and Ben and Brian are sitting in the living room talking about the football game that's going to be on TV a little bit later that evening. In just a moment, I hear Denise say, all right, it's ready. Everybody come to the table. Now this table is beautiful. It's got a beautiful white tablecloth on it. We've had to actually put some folding tables there and increase the length of it and pull chairs from everywhere, even some folding chairs, so we can hold everybody. I'll go get the turkey and set it in the middle of the table with the dressing and all, the, and the ladies put the dishes on the table. Everyone sits down in their place. Denise is sitting at one end, and I'm sitting at the other end. And Denise looks at me and she says, all right, Daddy, pray. Without anybody telling the rest of the family what to do, they bow their heads and put their hands out and take the hands of those on either side of them. I sit there holding two of my children's hands, one on each side of me at the table. Everyone's head is bowed and I take a moment and, you know, you ever just been in a moment when you want to say, okay, wait a minute. I want the world and everything to stop for just a moment. I want to take this in. I don't want to forget this. You ever been there? Well, this is one of those moments I stop. And I look around at all the bowed heads and the hands. Some big, some old, young or little. They're holding hands. The table is set beautifully. And down at the other end is a bowed head that started this journey 50 years ago with me. 50 years ago. And I suddenly realized, sitting there, as tears well up in my eyes, that sitting right there, right there in that room, around that table, is absolutely everything in this world that matters to me. I look at that and I think this is the treasures of my life. I look at them and I think I must have done something right. I must have done something right. And I close my eyes and I say, Father, Thank you. Thank you. You have been so good. What am I talking about? Why are you nodding your heads? What is it? You know what I'm talking about? The Bible calls it 
Oikos. Oikos. It's family. Family. And it is what creation is all about. It's why God created the heavens and the earth, the universe. We're trying to discover we put a man on the moon, now we want to do something with Mars, and we're trying to discover it. And it's just a little thing in an infinite amount of space and planets and stars that goes beyond our ability to comprehend. And the Bible says that God created all of that by speaking His Word, and He did it for one thing, for family. It's the reason God created this universe. The reason God created the earth. It's the reason God put gold and silver and oil and platinum and all the different things within the earth and diamonds and jewels. It's the reason He caused the the trees to grow and the rivers to flow and the fish to swim and the oceans and the streams and the deer to play in the valleys. And the mountains with the mountain goats and the different critters that live there and all the majesty of this world. God created it for one thing, family. So he created Adam and Eve and put them in the center of, in a garden. God could have made creation. He's God. Tell me something God can't do. Well, the only thing God can't do is He can't fail. He can't lie. He can't deny Himself. God could have started mankind with however He wanted to. He could have immediately just created billions of people around the earth. What is it, seven billion now? Seven billion. Look around this room. How different we are. How individually unique each and every one of us are. Even if take a family that has children, there's little unique intricacies about each child that makes them their own. God started everything, did everything, For one reason, family. So he took two people, a mom and a dad, a man and a woman, put them together, and from that he grew mankind. Family is the heart of God. When you read the Bible, everything you read in the Bible, if you understand, it comes from a heart of family. And it's all about family. It's a father, a daddy. Now, some of us may not have had the best experience with dad. My dad and I did not get along. I'm sad to say. Sorry to say. Did not get along. I was the, what do they call it, the black sheep. I was in trouble all the time. I caused my dad a lot of heartache. I disappointed him so many times. I was disowned from the family, could not 
come to the house with my wife or children. Could not set foot on the family property. Taken out of the family will. I was not a part of the vicar's family. Disowned. I hurt my family so much. When my dad died, something happened. I'd lost loved ones before. I was very close to my grandmother, only grandparent I had. She died. I sat there like just numb. I was young, little boy. I sat there numb. When my mother died, I never shared a tear. But when my dad died, I went out the back of a house to be away from Denise and the kids. I put my back up against the, chi- the uh, chimney and slid down to the patio and began to bawl from the innermost, my innermost being, not knowing why, but it was from the depth of my being. I wept and I wept and I wept. And I could feel it was like something releasing me. And I know what it was. Later I realized it was my longing to be accepted by my dad, just to be approved by him, just to be noticed by him, just to be validated. I wanted it so bad. When I read the Bible, when I first got saved at 24 years of age and started to read the Bible, I had a struggle with God as Father. Because my recollection of Father was rejection, judgment. That I never could please or do things right. But the Holy Spirit took me on a journey of discovering the Father's heart of God. And as I discovered the Father's heart of God in the Bible, I found a healing inside me. Because all of a sudden I realized why I longed so much to have a father. You know, you can have a, you can be without a physical father. He may be left you or he died or whatever. But to have one and still not have him is still pretty tough. In some ways, it's worse. Now, I must say this. On my dad's deathbed, on his deathbed, he called me in, and I stood there, and he said, I forgive you. And so... That began a healing. But the real healing took place in my life when I met Jesus and the Holy Spirit began to say, I want you to understand, Father, because see, I'd read everything I read about God. For some reason, I read it through glasses of someone that rejects, judges, and you never measure up to But see, that's not a father. The 
That's not a father. And the Holy Spirit helped me to discover that God is first and foremost a father. A father. And he is everything that every human being longs and wants so bad from a father. You know, Kelly Clarkson wrote the song. It's a good song, and it talks about her father and how he left her and didn't want him and rejected and all that. And she talks in the song about how her husband now, who they've had children, she sees in him everything that she longed for in a father. Because she says in there, and a father should love. And a father should care. And a father should stay. Well, that's what I found in God. That's what I found in God. And as I sit at that table, holding hands with my two children, two of my children, taking in that moment, when I said thank you, it's for a lot of things. One of them was thank you for showing me what a real father is. So hi would know how to be a father to these that I love so much. Oikos, family. That's why God created everything, Chris. It's also why there's a cross. It's, all, it's the only reason, the only reason that a cross stands between time, has split time. B.C. A.D. Time was split by a cross. It's the reason one lonely man hung between heaven and earth, bearing in himself the sin and the judgment of God for every one of us, taking all of our sins, all of our wrongdoings, all of our guilt, all of our shame upon himself, he took it. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. So that what he has and the relationship he had with his father could be given to me. The reason for the cross, one reason, not to destroy sin, yes, that's, that's the negative. That's like cleaning the mess up. That's taking the trash out. Which happens to be my job. But it was the job of the cross. To take the trash out of us. To deal with the trash. Why? So God could have a family. 
Not so he could look on us, but that so we could understand that we could look on him. Because he was looking on you long before you ever gave your heart to him. When I got saved at 24, I looked back at so many times and I, that I realized suddenly it became clear of times when the Holy Spirit, God, the Father, was reaching out, trying to get to me. I remember laying in my bed as a young man all by myself and I'd been up partying all night and all of a sudden this thought came to me. What will happen to you? When you die, what will be the end? And I brushed it aside and started focusing my mind on other things. There were so many different places the Father was trying to draw me in. The cross. What's it about? A family. The cross is God planting His Son in the earth, making a mark in the earth and in time, and saying, I want you to know, I want a family, and I want you to be a part of it. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I want you in my family. And this that I'm doing with my son at this cross, it is my declaration that this is enough. Your debt is paid. It's settled. Just come home. Just come home. Family is what creation is all about. Family is what the cross is all about. Family is what church is all about. That's what church is all about. Now listen, I used to, uh, years ago, was in uh, rock music and doing all that, and, and uh, I was into a lot of stuff before I met Jesus. Had a band, we traveled, and uh, Jethro Tull made a statement. Now he's something you have to go back in the 60s and 70s for that. But he made it, had a statement on the back of one of his albums that said this, in the beginning God created man in his image and then man returned the favor. And then man returned the favor. Evidently God had been dealing with Jethro Tull but he was going another direction. But isn't it something? And no matter what we think about church, and there's so many different flavors, so many different styles, so many different ways, and we tend to look for our way, and we think, oh, I think the music is what we need. We'll have this kind of music, or if we'll have this kind of service, or this kind of thing for children. If we do all this stuff. See, we're talking about the what. When God's focused on the why. The why of church, the reason for church. When God thinks of church, He thinks of family. Family. With Him as Father. 
where he can sit at the table and look at all his kids and say, this is my treasure. That's why it says in the Bible, he says of you, he says, you're the apple of mine. You're my joy. That's why the Bible says that he rejoices over us with dancing. Isn't that something? God is so excited about his kids that he gets up and dances. I want to see that one day. I think when we all get to heaven, I think when when it's all over and and God wraps everything up, I think God's going to get up and dance and celebrate. Family. Let me read something to you here. Listen to this. Long before God laid down earth's foundations, listen, long before God laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. That's what I was just saying. He settled on us as the focus of his love. The apple of his eye. To be made whole and holy by a bunch of regulations and do's and don'ts. Now listen what it says. To be made whole. What does it mean whole? That there's a, inside you there's a like, it's all right. We sing it. It is well with my soul. To be made whole and Holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. Now, let me just wrap this up real quick. I want to give you four, four, what I believe summarizes family, four characteristics that summarize family. And I'll just give them to you and then we'll unpack them a little bit. Number one, an unwavering commitment to God and one another. Denise and I have been married. Well, let me go back and say, I was going to say, unconditional love unselfish serving, irrational giving. Now let me unpack these briefly. Unwavering commitment to God and to one another. Denise and I have been married 50 years. August we celebrate 50 years. So I am taking my kids, not all my grandkids, but I'm taking Denise and our kids to Cabo San Lucas. I've rented a house on the beach there for a week. And we're going to celebrate yeah, it cost me some money. But you see, you see, yes, that too. You see, almost all of our anniversaries, I've been off somewhere preaching. And Denise would always give me grace. Next one, and I'd be off somewhere preaching. So finally she told me, she said, Steve, I'm not going to tell you next one. On our 50th anniversary, you're either going to do something special for me 
I'm not going to be here. So I'm taking her Cabo San Lucas. You can Google it if you don't know what that is. But you know how we made 50 years? It's because I'm really great. Now, why are you laughing? No, we didn't make 50 years because I'm great or because she's perfect. There's times we both felt like getting rid of the other and telling God, say, Denise who? Steve who? You know what it was? It wasn't because we always felt love or felt loved. It was because we had an unwavering commitment. We drove a stake in the ground and said, as long as we live, I am yours and you are mine. And that's what God wants in this house. There ought to be among us an unwavering commitment, not only to God, but to one another. Because I live out my commitment to God by how I live out my commitment to you. Because see, you're, you're his family with flesh on you. It's easy to love God who's way up there, but i got to love you and demonstrate my love for him by how I love you. An unwavering commitment to one another, there's strength and security in that. Unconditional love, boy. Unconditional love. That was a biggie for me. Understanding what that meant. I had always loved with conditions. Because that's how I felt loved. And I thought love was conditional. If you do what's right, make me happy, don't upset me, whatever. Whatever my rules were, then we could love. But if you ever broke one of them, we're no longer in love until you make it right. That's conditional love. But when you read in the Bible, if you read over in Corinthians there where it talks about 1 Corinthians 13, it says love, the love of God, God's love for us and the love that should be in the family of God doesn't even recognize when it is done wrong. It's like you slap me in the face and say, I'm sorry. I say, for what? Well, I just slapped you in the face. Oh, I didn't know. I'm sorry. Yet some of us are willing to hold grudges or things against people. Listen, when the world looks into the church, they need to see what family is really like. Unconditional love. I'm telling you, it's powerful. It liberates people when you tell them, listen, when people come in here, they ought to know, we're going to love you. There's nothing you can do to change that. When we used to sit at the dinner table, I would tell my kids regularly, now look at me, look at me. I'm your dad. And I want you to know something. I want you to do what's right. If you do what's wrong, I'll deal with you. But here's what I do want you to know. Right or wrong, good or bad, none of that has anything to do with my love for you. I will love you at your best. I will love you at your worst. If I have to come visit you in the White House or the jailhouse, you're my child. Unconditional love, it's powerful. Unselfish serving. You know, in the family of God, we ought to serve one another. Boy, that was a big, I had to teach my children to serve one another. And I did, you know, worked at it. 
Because I wanted them to understand that how do I, you say you love me, well, how is that proven? By what, how I serve you. The only way I can prove I love you is by serving you. That's why a marriage ought to be two people stumbling over one another, trying to serve one another. Irrational giving. Irrational giving. I could be a really rich man. I could be a really rich man if I hadn't given so much to my kids. I could be a really rich man. Oh, wait a minute. I am a really rich man. I am a really rich man because I have given so much to my kids. Unwavering commitment to God and to one another. An unconditional love without strings attached. Love without condition. Unearned, undeserved, given. Given. Unselfish serving. I want to show you how much I love you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to serve you. And you know what needs to start right here? In what we do in the services. And then what we do in the community. I'm telling you, you want to change a world? You want to change this city? We prayed for revival this morning for God to move in this city. I'm going to tell you how God's going to move in any city. It's when God, when people, the people of that city see the church living as family, as the family of God, with an unwavering commitment to one another, unconditionally loving each other and loving those that are lost that are messed up, that are in trouble, that are wrong. It doesn't matter. We still love you. And that we serve. We're willing to serve one another. Serve our community. And we give. We give. We give. Listen. If I had everything I'd given, dear Lord, I'd be sorry. Because I would have missed something. I've given away cars. I've given away uh, our bank accounts before. I've given, giving is who God, because God gave to me. But you know what? I, I'm the one that was, the, was blessed. What if we became that church? We want the power of God. We want the presence of God. We want all these works of God. Maybe God is saying, okay, okay, then live as my family. Focus on that and watch what I do. Father, help us. Help us today to hear what you're saying to us. Help Passion Church Montgomery meeting in Goodwin Hall at the AUM campus. Help Passion Church 
to discover what it means to be family. I pray, God, that I pray for an anointing. I'm not asking you for miracles, signs, or wonders. As important as all that is, those are things you do. Those are the works of your hand. What I'm praying for is your heart. I want your heart. I'm asking for your heart to be birthed inside us, oh God. That we begin to love unconditionally. That we're committed to one another. We serve and we give. I pray, oh God, that this city would look at this church, this family, and say, I want that. I want that. I want that. I want that. Now look up at me. You look in the book of Acts and you'll see God was he drew up all together in the first part of Acts and you had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the upper room and then spread out and 3,000 people came to the church in one day and God was continually adding to the church it was growing and at the, busting at the seams and growing just exponentially but then all of a sudden God did something. About the time the barrel looked like it was filled to overflowing, he took the barrel and dumped it out. That's what he did. And you look in Acts and all of a sudden it says, and they were scattered everywhere. What was God saying? He was saying, you've started to discover family, but I don't want you to hold it within yourselves. I want you to take it to the world. I want to see this church take on. I want you to do like Jesus. Robe yourselves in the garments of a servant and begin to look for how you can serve this community. Ask God, uh, God, open my eyes to how I can serve. Whether it's in your school, on your job, in your neighborhood. If we'll start doing it individually, and listen, you say, but, but, but what about me? I'm telling you about you. I'm telling you the key that unlocks the storehouse of all God has for you. It is not by sitting down, getting down on your knees and saying, God, my name is Jimmy. I'll take all you give me. I'm telling you, when you begin to open your heart to those around, the guy working on the job there with you, that you sense something's not right. That lady that works in the little cubicle on the computer next to your workstation. You know something's wrong. 
that person, that family across the street that the husband just had a stroke. I'm telling you, that single mother that her son was just killed by gang violence. You want to be the church? You want miracles? Oh, we want the glory of God. I'm telling you how to have it. telling you how to have it. Caring for the community out there in tangible and real ways. I'm not talking around, going around passing out tracts and preaching. I'm talking about actually serving, caring, preaching by your serving, preaching by your giving, preaching by sacrificing yourself for someone else. Preaching by going the extra mile. becoming a demonstration to our community of who Jesus is what is Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it and pray that you are blessed by God's word. For more information about Passion Church, visit www.mypassion.church.